second service that we don't do in the first and not because one group is better than the other but because in the first we have a lot of people who who just can't move very well and so we don't often do that um i but what we'd like to do is i'm i'm before i get in more trouble what i'm asking for all of us to do is if everyone moved to the center of the room um we do this on a weekly basis as a reminder a reminder that the church is always more than just us. A reminder that it's about God's kingdom people, that it's all of us. Whatever age we are, wherever we come from, whatever backgrounds that we represent. And so we come together on a weekly basis, and this weekend a lot more than a weekly basis, as a reminder for us about what it looks like to be God's people in the world. And so we know that no matter what, wherever we go, that God's calling for us is the same. And so we gather together to pray tonight and for us to continue our services together. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you tonight and we lift up to you so many things that are a part of the life of this church. It's our desire that tonight as we continue to hear uh, the message you have for us from Mark, that it would shape and mold us. That you would continue to speak and we would hear your voice, that it would be a time in which we reflect on the, what you are doing in our world today and what you have already done. But ultimately we pray in the midst of that that you would give us a glimpse of what you desire to do. And how we fit into that story. So Father, we pray for our time together. We pray for the person on our right and on our left. For the person behind us and in front of us. And for the people who are part of our community who aren't here. And for all the people who are in our community. That don't yet know that they're, they're invited to be here. May we live lives that reflect a love for the world. And a love for each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was, I was anxious, Aaron, to see how you are going to get out of that one, actually. I was going to say, I don't know that you really did, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's good to be with you. Thanks for coming out on a Saturday night at 5 o'clock when there's a lot of other things that are going on, a lot of different places you could be. Um, my daughter and son-in-law, my youngest daughter and son-in-law used to live in the city of Chicago in the only way that you could get to their apartment was you had to come to an in, the intersection of Western and Lawrence. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in Chicago. I hate driving in Chicago. I was telling somebody that when I go to Chicago, we always take the train because I don't want to pay to park and I don't want to find a parking spot and it's just not easy to get around. And Western and Lawrence is one of the busiest intersections. I mean, if there is such thing as busiest in Chicago, but it's very busy and you have to turn right on the light, and uh, pedestrians always, it's just impossible to get through the intersection. So I remember one Saturday, I had decided, predetermined, that we were going to try and cut down a side street so we could go around the block. So we came up to the, I don't know why you're laughing, uh, so we, we came up to the intersection a block uh, away, and I went to turn right, and my wife looked at me and said, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm 
going to Chris and Kelly's. And she said, that's not the way. I said, this, there's got to be a better way than getting up to that corner and sitting through four lights just to get through there. So, um, well, what I'll say is uh, after a quick interchange, we'll call it, between my wife and I in the car, um, we decided, we decided, <laughs> we decided to keep going the way that we knew, the way we were familiar with, because she was certain that that street wouldn't take us to where we were trying to get to. So um, she convinced me that that was bad, and I was convinced that there was... That wasn't there. But I, I, I still think, to this day, having never taken that road, that it could have been right. But there has to be a different way than this, you know? Have you ever uh, been in a situation, maybe not quite like mine, but have you ever been in a situation where you find yourself asking that question, there has to be a better way than this. This can't be it. This can't be all there is. Maybe for you, um, you know, as bad as you think sometimes the traffic in Muskegon gets, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe for you it is bad, Muskegon traffic. I don't know. Um, but for some, it might be uh, trying to find a way to shed a few pounds. I remember one time I had a buddy who was doing the, what was it, P90X? One, he, and, he, and he tweeted every day what his experience was. I felt like I was doing it with him through Twitter. So I didn't have to do it myself. And uh, after following his journey through his experience with P90X, I basically came to the conclusion that there has to be another way to shed a few pounds. Well, you know, that, that's kind of at the heart too, isn't it, of some of the things that we've been talking about together um, so far this weekend. The struggle that we as people of faith, um, and it really is, you know, Paul says to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, Right? And, and it's not that we're afraid to take steps. And I think that's the beauty of having community. It's really why the church needs to gather together, right? We help each other stay in step. But we do at times wonder, don't we? We do at times question. We do at times say, is this it? Uh, there has to be another way. And, and just like the disciples were always constantly trying to figure this out. We do too, in reality, don't we? We're no different than them. They're, they're no different than us. I get a lot of encouragement in reading about them because Peter got athlete's tongue because he was putting his foot in his mouth all the time. And, and you know what I mean? I mean, they just, uh, James and John didn't get it. And, and, you know, I mean, it was just like, they just didn't get it. And that, that helps me because sometimes I don't get it. And I just feel like there has to be another way. Well, have you ever been there? You ever been there wondering if the way that we're on even is the right way? Is, is the way I'm living right? Is this, is this okay? I tell students all the time, you know, working with college students because they're immersed in, um, I think sometimes we make God's will so rigid, right, that we don't even think we can move a step. And what I, what I like to tell, tell college students all the time is, look, if you're doing something wrong, don't you think God can get your attention? Right? So just live. If, if you're faithfully following him, live. And if he needs to get your attention, he will. Right? So we just, we live life in that way. But, but still, we have this, the, our human nature, not our sinful nature, but our human nature. For those of us who are really trying to live in the way of Jesus, we really want to do it right. And we want to do it well. 
And we want to represent him in the way that he deserves to be represented in our world, right? Well, um, up until the last week of Jesus, the last week of Jesus' earthly life before his death anyways, he was constantly trying to help his disciples answer questions like that. Is this it? Is this what it looks like? Is this all there is? Are we on the right road? And they even tried to help him along the way, didn't they? You know, Peter, get behind me. You're speaking like Satan now. Matter of fact, you are speaking as the enemy. They tried to help him, James and John. Nuke them. Torch those cities. You know, they're bad people. They were trying to help him all the time, and they, they were missing the simplicity of the stories of seed and yeast. And if you haven't been with us the whole weekend, I, I really can't unpack all of that. But they just didn't get to the point, get this, to the point where his cousin, remember when his cousin John sent his disciples when he was in prison to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? His cousin asked him that. Elizabeth's son, the one who jumped in the womb of his mother when Mary walked in. Remember that story? And, and you know what? Again, I get, if John had to ask, if John struggled with doubt, the one who saw the dove come out of heaven when he baptized his, if he had to ask the question, I think it's okay for me to wonder. And again, it's like I said, it's why community is important. It's why we have to come together. It's why we, because we're not, we're not supposed to do this alone. Why do you think the early church, you know how often they met? Every day, kind of like us. We don't know whether it's morning or night anymore, do we? We're just, uh, sorry, after tomorrow morning, I'm out of here, okay? You guys can keep doing this if you want to, but I'm going home. I have a job. I have a wife. I have a... There's a story that's all too familiar to us, and, and actually, Aaron, you're probably going to talk about it in another four or five weeks, however far away we are from Palm Sunday. But it's, it's near the end of Jesus' three years of ministry. And the way this story again begins to unfold, the context of this story, um, it, 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 it looks like to the Jews, finally, what we expected is about to happen. The way that we expected the Messiah to come is about to unfold. It would have looked like that to them. There, there might have been some in the group thinking, now you're getting around to it, Jesus. You're finally getting to it. Yet in the middle of the story, as we're going to see, Jesus again, he does it again. He, he, and, and again, it's not what he says. It's what he does. It's, it's another one of those mustard seed moments. You know, who would have thunk that, Right? What are you doing now? I, it, roll their eyes. Yeah, you know, I mean, come on, Jesus. That's not what you're supposed to do. How does this continue to happen? Because we think you're going here and you go here. We think you're going there and you go there. But Jesus, by his actions and his words, is trying to teach. So in this particular story, it takes place the week of Passover. A week when the city of Jerusalem would have been packed with thousands of visitors from all over that part of the world. They all came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Some would have been making the trek for the first time while others would have been returning as they did every year. And it's onto that scene that the events in Luke 19 begin to happen. Um, it's an odd story to tell at this point in the Lenten journey, like I said, because you're going to get to it later. But hang with me, because I think it says something that fits with what we've been walking through together this weekend. It all begins with Jesus 
chance encounter, right? With this guy named Zacchaeus. Remember the dude that climbed the tree because he was short? And we all learned a children's song, right? This one whose story we're, we're very familiar with. And Zacchaeus was a... Thank you very much. And you don't need to sing anymore then. That's okay. Um, but he, 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 he actually initiates the invitation to this scoundrel's house, doesn't he? He even looks at him and says, come into your house, Zach. And the kids, because of this song they sing, they understand this, again, this weird kind of bent way that Jesus loves them. You know them, right? We've talked about them a lot. Well, Luke then tells a story about those who have a problem then with the fact, because remember the Pharisees, the reason the Pharisees are following Jesus around is because we know, especially the way Luke tells the story, they've already, the plot is in motion to kill Jesus. They want to get rid of him. So they just hang around. And this is just another time again for the Pharisees, for the church to come at Jesus and criticize him for the people that he's eaten with. He's eaten dinner with the likes of Zacchaeus. Can you believe it? Can, do you see what he's doing here? They don't like that Jesus continually appears to be hanging out with sinners and prostitutes and drunks and foreigners. So Jesus then, you know what he does? If you read Luke 19, he turns the story on them and he tells, some, he tells a story, a parable, and it's about them. And it's not a nice story. It's very confrontive. Uh, he basically says that they're going to face judgment. It's very confrontational. And if they didn't want to kill him before, they really want him dead now. It's almost like Jesus was just leading them in this, isn't it? It seems difficult to follow on the one hand everything that's going on because there was a lot of stuff going on in the story now. The disciples would be easily confused. And just a day later, after he has dinner with Zacchaeus, is the story when he weeps over the city of Jerusalem, says he wishes he could gather them like a mother gathers her chicks. And then he begins this move towards Jerusalem. I mean, after all, Jerusalem was his to take, right? He was the Messiah, right? It's, it's in the story here that we have this amazing ride down the side of the hill from the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley, which is the valley in between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem, and, and uh, where Le Jesus would later gather that week with his disciples to pray, right? The, the, day, the night of his betrayal. So on the one hand is, the, is this mount, and on the other hand is the city that sits on a hill. And then he would begin to make the short climb out of the valley, through the gate, and then continue up the hill to his destination. And we know where Jesus is going, right? They knew where he was going. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy when he rides that donkey, that foal, into the city. He's made arrangements with the, older, with the owner of a never-ridden-before foal that he borrowed to ride down off the hill, into the valley, up into the city. And as he moves down that path, what do they start to do? Woo! -hoo! Palms, cloaks, they're laying this path because the Messiah has finally come. This is one of those stories not too unlike a Christmas narrative, isn't it? We're very, very familiar with this story we hear it every year, and we should, because it's part of our journey with Jesus. It's, it's part of him leading us along, if I can say it that way. But I find myself asking a set of questions about what's taking place in this story. Have you ever wondered some things? Because there's some really strange things that happened in this story. Here's, here's my question. Where did they go? 
Where did they go? What happened to the apparent masses of people that followed Jesus down off the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley to the very gate of the city, throwing palm branches and coats down, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. Why wasn't there a riot? Because they're ready to fight. I mean, if you like video games with swords and stuff, these dudes were ready to go. They had, they had swords, Peter, right? They had the daggers hidden in their cloaks. These zealots, man, they'd been waiting for 150 years since the Maccabean Revolt and since those guys had been slaughtered by the Romans. They had been waiting for something good to happen. And all of a sudden, they're gone. Where did the palm-waving, fight-happy, Messiah-waiting crowd go? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered where one minute they're there waving palms, throwing coats on the road, and the next minute they're gone? Wasn't Jesus following the steps that the prophet Zechariah would have said about the Messiah? Wasn't this the sign that the king had arrived? Isn't this what David and other kings did as they came back from victorious battles? He was on the same road. Do you remember the story about David when he came back and he was dancing with just the loin around him and his wife, Mike, you know, she, she kind of pulled him aside and said, they don't do that again. And they had an argument, you know. But this is the road that he's on. Um, this is where he's at. Now here's what I've come to understand about this. Because if he's on David's road, if he's on, when, it, when a king returns back from battle, this is the road of victory. This is where he's at. Riding like the warrior king coming back. Something is going down. It's why they're waving palms and throwing coats. Jesus is riding in fulfilling a 450 year old prophecy and they knew it well. But before he gets down, he stoops on the side of the hill, he cries over the city, and then he makes this ride. It would have been the road the kingly Messiah would have taken, declaring once and for all his rule or claiming the throne, and that's exactly what they thought was happening. And it was, after all, Jesus' rightful place. Go to the palace, Jesus. Go to the palace and kick Herod out. Then get rid of the Romans, and the Jews are back. And we have our Messiah. But here's the interesting thing. There's two roads. There was another road that led to a different destination. There was a fork that went left. He could have gone right, stayed on David's, gone around the outside of the city, come around the backside, right to the palace. But instead, he went left. It would have been strange because the palm branches and the, and the cloaks, the, their coats that they had laid on the path, would have, would have been farther up the, the, the path. They would have been on the king's path, and he would have gone left. And the coats and the palms are this way, Jesus, but he goes left. Well, here, here's where some of my questions about the dispersion of the crowd begin to be answered. Because in the city where there would have been hundreds if not thousands present because of this annual celebration of Passover and many in weeks like this looking for a fight, they were looking for a fight. They would have been with Jesus all the way. They would have had their daggers ready to pull out. They were ready for war and all of a sudden they're gone. The crowd seemingly disappear. Why? Well, I want to tell you why I think it happened and the significance for us. Jesus turned the wrong way. 
And the disciples are rolling their eyes again. Wondering what in the world is he up to now? It wouldn't be the first time that he's done it. And it wouldn't be the last. Of course, the greatest for us is the resurrection. Didn't roll their eyes at that one, did they? But now, he went left instead of right. Like the discussion my wife and I had that day in Chicago, I can only imagine the arguments that broke out on that road. Okay, I, can, I can see Peter going up, grabbing the tail of the donkey. You know? Saying, Jesus, you went the wrong way. That's the way you're supposed to go. I'm sure everyone in the crowd was trying to help him out. Pulling out their map quest directions, saying that's the way to the palace, right? But instead of going to the palace to take back the throne for the Israel of nation, do you know where he went? If you read ahead in Luke chapter 19, you know. He went to the temple. He wasn't going to reclaim the throne. He was going to reclaim his church. He was going to reclaim his people. He was going to the part of the temple that Gentiles, the only place where they, you know them, the only place where they could gather to pray because they weren't allowed in the doors of the temple. There was a courtyard where they had to pray. The courtyard where Gentiles gathered because they weren't good enough to go in. That's where the money changers had set up. So you wonder why Jesus was so ticked off Telling them that they had turned my house of prayer. Isn't that interesting language? You've turned my house of prayer into a house of den and thieves. But in the move to the temple that day, throwing money changers out like you throw trash out of your garage while spring cleaning, he's making a statement. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. Every other passage we've looked at this weekend is from Luke. It shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was. Again, his actions speaking louder than his words even. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even say anything here. It's all actions from Jesus. No pulling his disciples in a back room to explain things. No rebuking of anybody to clear things up. This time, just watch and learn he was living out what he had read in the temple almost three years earlier. Remember when he took the scroll? Where he said he had come not to take the road of a king, but to take another road? Just like you read the day when he opened that scroll, he had come to proclaim good news to the poor, to release prisoners from their cells, to give the blind their sight, to heal up hearts that are broken, to declare that this is what the day of the Lord looks like. He did it for them. This is what the kingdom is about. It's for the people that nobody else looks out for. But I'm going to clear out the space that you have claimed for your own and reclaim it for them. It's why just days earlier, he had again given a blind man his sight, met with a bunch of sinners in Zacchaeus' home, and now the reason he had ridden through the gates of the city was not to reclaim the throne and remove the Romans, but it was to reclaim the rightful place for the poor and the marginalized and the blind and the forgotten and the lame and the sick and the foreigner and the brokenhearted, giving them the right place in his house. Restoring their place in his kingdom. He said, this was who I am. This was who he was and what he was about, and he was proving it once again by his actions. And the people who left had to be asking the question, I, 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 
I would bet my life on the fact that they walked away saying, is this it? You have poured your, we, we've, we've hung around with you for three years, and this is it. Is this all there is? If this is what it's about, then I'm out. And the masses of people that had thrown their coats on the road and waved palm branches probably followed him for three years. You know, there were more than 12. Probably followed him for three years. They were gone. They left. And the cross would replace their coats. A spear would replace the palms. Curses would be spoken in place of hosannas. Instead of a donkey, he would carry a cross. In place of gold and jewels, twisted branches and thorns. In place of power and privilege, a serving and suffering Lord and Savior. It all changed in one wrong turn. He went left. Or was it a wrong turn? And that day, amidst all the celebration, they missed it. They thought Jesus should have stayed on the main road, taking him to the palace, not only to reclaim the throne for himself, but for them. You know, really, in the end, it wasn't about Jesus, was it? It was always about them. You remember what James and John thought, right? They weren't just the ones who wanted to nuke the cities. They were also the ones who were jockeying for positions at, around the table, fighting all the time. You know, whose mother acted as their agent, right? Who we know from church history when Jesus said, you can't drink this cup, can you? And they said they would, and they did, didn't they? They had no idea what they were getting into. They had no idea what they were asking. But he turned down an alley instead of staying on the road of the king and headed to the temple. What a disappointment. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Put on your, your little yarmulke now. Imagine, imagine being a Jew for a second. Can you imagine? You're waiting for the Messiah because the Messiah is a king, right? And he's finally here. He's going down the road, and then he turns left. They wanted a king that was about winning and conquering, and instead they got one who was for outcasts and losers. For them, he didn't go up the road of victory. He turned down the road of suffering. And he left the people to go home disappointed again, asking, really? Is this it? Is this all there is? Is this all there ever was? Then let's be rid of him once and for all. And it was less than a week later that they had fulfilled their task. I need to tell you, how we see this story play out defines for us really the rest of the story have you ever found yourself asking the question, is this it? Is this what I signed up for? Is this all there is? <clears throat> this has been a tough year for the Olivet community, the community that I'm a part of. And I told you last night, everything that I do is embedded in community, right? I, I just can't get away from it. Some of you might have heard that, that we lost a 22-year-old senior last spring. She just didn't wake up. 22 years old, healthy. Had, and found out she had a heart arrhythmia. Nobody knew. She'd been athletic her whole life. She played intramurals at Olivet, and one morning she just didn't wake up. March 14th, 2013. 
And then just this last fall, we lost our engineering prof, Dr. Ken Johnson, who was actually in a mountain bike race up in Traverse City that he did every year with some buddies from Brighton, Michigan. He was in the 24th mile out of 25, and he just fell over dead of a heart attack, 45 years old. He falls over dead. She just doesn't wake up. We, we still, as a community, find ourselves asking a lot of questions that I'm fairly certain we'll never get answers to. You don't get answers to questions like those. There's no answering a why question when you lose someone so young or so early. Dr. Johnson left behind four kids and a wife. There's anger, pain, sorrow, grief, and in times like this, words can become very cheap, can't they? We had a hole literally ripped in our, the heart of our campus. Have you ever had something like that happen? We all have, haven't we? And in the midst of these two tragic events, as, as I reflect on this story, I find myself grateful that Jesus went left. Instead of right. Instead of straight. When the crowd dispersed, wallowing in their disappointment, I've come to realize again the significance of what Jesus did. Because, see, he didn't take the road of a conquering king that, that day, but he chose the road of suffering. And this was more than just about taking our place, suffering for our sins, making provision for us. That's a part of what that week was about, certainly. But he did all that. He did all that. But I think one of the reasons he went left was also so he could know. Remember I asked you this morning if you allow Jesus to be fully human? So he can fully enter into what you go through and what you experience. He spoke up for those who couldn't speak up for themselves so they would know someone cared. Following this story later in the week, we see the way he suffered. And the reason he did it was so we could know that he knows. Do you know he knows what it's like to not have a dad? Do you know he knows that? He knows what it's like to lose a dad. Joseph's not around. He knows what it's like to have family that think he's loopy. You got family members that think you're loopy? He knows what it's like to be betrayed by friends. He knows what it's like to feel fear. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. Honestly, anything that you feel, he knows. Because he went left. He didn't stay on the road of the conquering kings he went left. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And do you know what he does? Do you know what he does for every single one of us and every single one of them? The letter to the Hebrews gives us this picture that he whispers in his Father's ear. Whispers in his Father's ear exactly what it is you're going through right now. So the Father then can fully know and send His Spirit to give you exactly what you need now, today. He'll come as close as you let Him or He'll stay as far away as you want Him to. We can continue to feel sorry for ourselves or we can admit that there is one who knows and He's speaking to his Father and our Father on our behalf right now and will literally send the resources of heaven loose to give us exactly what we need in this moment. All of this, all of that is in that left turn that Jesus took. 
When he chose to go to the temple, he was doing that for them, but he was also doing it for you. And he was doing it for me. He was looking at us, saying that whatever we will face in this life, that he's going through it first. So he knows. He understands. He can cry with us. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever picture? Do you ever picture Jesus experiencing your sorrow with you? Well, not only can he, but he does. And, and, and when this, those around this story are asking the question, is this it? Is this really what I signed? You know, health and wealth is a whole lot better. Let's, let's just live for that, shall we? Let's go to places that teach that. Because that's a whole lot better. Is this it? Is this what I signed up for? Fix this problem for me, God. Is this all there is? And God says, you know what? Life has hit you square in the face. And you know what? I get life. And you don't have to face this alone. You are never alone. Never. He's going through it first so he knows. And he understands and can cry with us and know exactly what we feel every moment of every day. So when we ask the question, is this it? We can gladly say, yeah. Yeah. This is it. And that's our God. That's how he looks at us. That's what he does for us. And that's what he views us. So how about you? What are you feeling? What are the feelings that you have? The pain, the rejection, the abandonment, the loneliness, the grief, the exhaustion, the frustration, the anger, the resentment. You fill in the blank. I want you to hear this. As you leave this place and walk back into your life outside of this room of refuge and sanctuary, that's why we call it that, really. I want you to know that Jesus didn't just suffer for us taking our place, taking what shouldn't have been our punishment on ourselves. That is a part of what he did. But in his suffering, know too that he understands what everything we experience feels like everything. And in taking that left turn, he took no advantage of his deity. Instead, he leaned fully into his humanity, all of it. And when he leaned fully into his humanity, he leaned fully into us. So when we ask the question, is this it? Yeah. Yeah, you bet this is it. And I'm glad that we don't have just a king. Because like Campolo says, it's Friday, and we all know Sunday's coming. We do have a king, but we also have a servant, and we don't just have a Lord, but we also have a Savior who knows and understands, and he has come all the way to us, leaving nothing undone, if we'll let him. He'll come as close to us as we let him. Just think, all that happened almost 2,000 years ago because Jesus took a wrong turn for you and me. He saw your face. He knew your life. And he said, I know what you're going to go through, and I'm going to go through it with you. At Miley's funeral, I watched her friends sing a song that spoke to the depth of both their pain and faith. Chris Tomlin wrote it, and the chorus says, I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge 
You are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things I remember, you are faithful, God, forever. Forever. I watch them as they express through the raised hands and tears a declaration of their utter dependence and trust in their God. God didn't kill Miley. I don't know why it happened, but I know God didn't do it. But I watched those students allow God to share their pain and enter into everything that they were experience, experiencing because God was with them in their deepest, darkest moments. You know how they knew? You know how we know? Because on a Palm Sunday, over 2,000 years, he went left. Father God, I thank you that you love us the way you do through your son. I thank you that he didn't hold anything back, but he experienced it all for us. Man, <laughs> that enables us to live life filled with hope it enables us to share hope with people that are experiencing pain and agony and questions and doubt and wonders um, I pray that you would help us to not only accept this as truth for us but to share it with them and it's in Jesus name